Loving God, grant us now that most excellent gift of your Holy Spirit, that in your light we might see light, and in your truth find freedom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. From our reading in Luke's Gospel, Then Jesus said to him, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So it was a Sunday, like this Sunday, after church, and I was taking off my clerical vestments in my office. That's when this gnarly-looking fellow turned up at the side door of the church, and I heard him ask someone else, can I speak to the minister? Brought him into my office with a couple of other people from the church. His hair was shaven right down close to his head, and he looked disheveled on his arm. He wore a bracelet from the Montreal General Hospital. He said that he just finished radiation treatment for cancer and that he needed money to get home uh, to his uh, place near Quebec City where he lived. Uh, and then he said, he said, will the church help me? Now, I don't know where he got the idea that he should come to church for that kind of help, but he did. <laughs> now, the guy really looked like somebody who had just finished radiation. He looked weak and gaunt and gray, not dressed right for the weather. But it was the hospital bracelet that really clinched it for me. He looked... Well, kind of pitiful. But, but then he said it. It's a line as a minister in a downtown congregation that I heard a million times. He said this, don't worry, I'll pay you back. <laughs> now, I really wish he wouldn't have said that. I mean, what are the chances of someone paying you back, right? And so down to the train station we went on a Sunday afternoon. The ticket was purchased. He boarded the train, and he kept saying, thank you, thank you, I'll pay you back. Uh, he left for Quebec City. He got treated for his disease, got a free ticket, uh, and now he was on his way home. Now, if he's like most people that I know, with your health restored, you forget all the promises you made when you weren't well. He'll just go back to his old life, right? Forget his rash promises. Uh, I'll pay you back. Uh, right. <laughs> well, like the sick ten lepers in our story from Luke, this man came looking for mercy. And what's mercy you're looking for, where do they take it? Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That, that's what they're screaming out. Volume's all they've got left, so they kind of ramp up the request. People seem to know that if it's mercy you're looking for, best to go to Jesus, uh, maybe his people, his church, his ministers. They're kind of obliged to mercy. Mercy? Well, that's what Jesus is all about. These ten men are in desperate straits, forced together Jew and Samaritan by their common contagious disease. They live on the edge of the village that Jesus is traveling to. That's where people with leprosy lived, on the edge of town, away from family and home and worship. They, they camped in makeshift shelters along the roadside. At the edge of the town, an ancient city, that's where they put the garbage, where fires burn to consume it. That's, in fact, where we get the New Testament word. We translate hell, Gehenna. It's a word for the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem, old pottery, lost causes, broken furniture, people you've given up on. The edge of town was the sort of ancient isolation ward. Nothing more uh, could be done for them. And so for the sake of those who do not yet have what they have, you put them out from society. Uh, you store human ruin on the edge of town. Sickness still isolates people, doesn't it? And 
And so from a safe antiseptic distance, these ten men cry out for mercy uh, to those that pass by. Maybe if they're lucky, someone will throw them some food, a little bit of clothing. Uh, Some might be moved by compassion and to ease their misery just just a little while they wasted away. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us how they knew that it was Jesus passing by. Maybe these ten sick, ostracized people Uh, Maybe they've overheard that Jesus tends to have compassion for lost causes and cast-offs. Luke has Jesus working the side of the road and and even venturing into graveyards a few times. I mean, talk about lost causes. (laughs) Maybe this is what, uh, what the creed means when it says that Jesus descended into hell. Strange how desperation can get you wondering whether there's truth to the rumor. Jesus kind of thrives on hopeless situations, uh, folks everybody else has given up on. Uh, People show up in church suspecting, maybe half believing, that mercy might actually be found here in Jesus' name. I know that because I've met people who have told me. I suspect that it's for mercy's sake that some of you are here today. Maybe church attendance is our way of connecting the dots between our addictions or our endless cycles of self-destructive behavior, our desperate situation, our despair at the world, or maybe even at the church, between those and, and Jesus' mercy. We've come to know with greater or less assurance that Jesus is merciful. He descends into our hells when, so when trouble meets us, we meet him And so some of us whisper, maybe faintly, and and some of us yell, full-throated, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me, on us, on, on our world. And the good news from this story is that Jesus has mercy, doesn't it? He has mercy on us and on these ten lepers. He, he comes into our hells, and the open-ended request of these sick gentlemen means they get more than they asked for. I mean, if they would have spelled out the kind of mercy they wanted, they could have uh, underbid. Maybe they might have just wanted some spare change, and what they got was, like, total health. A general cry for mercy from Jesus, and wow, you, you get more than you could ever hope for, abundant mercy. And, and so Jesus says to them, all right, go and show yourselves to the priest. Go and act like healed people, and on the way you'll be healed, and Well, with nothing left to lose but leprosy, they head off down the road in the direction of Jesus, or the priest. And it happens. It happens. They they start down the road and their skin clears up on the way. Nine of the ten do exactly what they're told. They follow the rules. They're obedient and compliant. They go directly to the temple, are pronounced clean, and they get restored to social circulation. They become normal again. What they wanted most, they received. Luke says, and as they went, they were cleansed. And it's a very particular word that Luke uses here. They were made clean, ritually pure, a certified, grade A, unblemished. What that means is not only do they have their health back, they can go back to their families, back to their communities, put themselves into social circulation again. That's huge. We all know how sickness can isolate health. 
means a full-orbed life. Children can be picked up and hugged. Spouses can be embraced. They can sleep in their own beds again. Jesus' mercy means not just nice teeth and good hair, but human community. The mercy of Jesus radiates outwards to restore not just particular individuals, but whole networks of human society. Each person healed becomes a source of joy to those who know them. When Jesus reassembles a life, plants hope, and grants a future by his mercy, many changes the world. Now, I would have been happy if St. Luke finished his story right there. Well, you say Jesus is merciful, Jesus touches desperate people, puts them back on their feet. I mean, thanks be to God that that could encourage us all in ministry and we could go and have snacks and visit in the church hall. (laughs) And yet, the healing of the ten isn't even the main point of the story. The thrust of the story concerns not the nine, but one person who clearly can't follow directions. The other nine bustle off to the priest and get back into social circulation without delay. One man, an outsider to the Jewish community, a Samaritan and a rogue, he hightails it back to Jesus. Just like the rest, he's healed. Just like the rest, he went on his way and experienced a miracle. But unlike the rest of them, he turns back to the source of his good fortune. On the way back to Jesus, he's happy. He's, he's belting out a verse of, I don't know, in Christ alone my hope is found. Or, or maybe he takes up the old chestnut, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. But when he gets close to Jesus, he, he bows to the ground and he, he grovels a bit. He says, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And it's loud. It's a bit of a spectacle, kind of swarmy. He's uh, effusive and over the top. He's emotional. But isn't that how gratitude is? It's demonstrative, it's loud, it's excessive. It seems this man is, in my view, more like Pentecostal than Presbyterian. (laughs) Gratitude grips this guy, heart and mind and soul in posture and verse. He's just got to sing. You sing when prose won't carry the luggage, right, Of, of such joy. He's got to say thanks right now, today. Gratitude can't wait until other matters are taken care for. I have noticed that gratitude delayed. That's usually ingratitude. But he's all pumped up with thankfulness, and he's got to let it out in front of the right audience, and the audience is Jesus. And Jesus says, uh, so where is everybody? Didn't 10 people get healed, and it's just like, you? You're not even one of us. You you don't go to the synagogue. You're you're a Samaritan. Where are the people who should know better than to be ungrateful for the merciful acts of God? There ought to be an SATB, clean complexion choir here singing to the glory of God, and all you've got is this, like, Samaritan solo? (laughs) What happened, we might ask? Why don't more people acknowledge... uh, that the source of strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow is like Jesus. Jesus poses a hard question. He says this, was no one found to return and praise God except this uh, Samaritan? What's wrong with the other nine? You'd have thought we'd see a little gratitude here. 
Why is it that the majority is, how shall we say it, so uh, doxologically challenged, so praise reticent? It puzzles even Jesus, this lack of gratitude, especially amongst people who ought to know better. They're enjoying the gifts of God and they forget the giver of the gifts. And, and then Jesus does something really strange here. He pronounces a strange word on the singing Samaritan. He says this, <clears throat> Rise and go your way, for your faith has made you well. What, what? No, your faith has made you well. Get up off the ground, go back in the game, your faith has made you well. Now, now hang on, wasn't he already well? I mean, the sores are gone and his fingers are back. The future is an open book. He can go back to his family. What do you mean, Jesus? Rise up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. He's already cleansed. He asked for mercy and he got it. Jesus cleansed him already. I mean, it raises the question, can a man or a woman, can a person be twice healed? Well, apparently, yes. And, and what's more, St. Luke seems to think that the second healing is superior to the first. You see, there's more to life than a clean bill of health. The high point of the story isn't a healing that gets somebody normal again. What a shame it would be to meet Jesus like the savior of the world and get nothing from it but normal. The man who returns, he gets a deeper gift. He gets healed, but he also gets like saved. The word translated here well is the Greek word sozo. Uh, it means rescued, delivered, saved, made whole in the most profound sense. See, his healing was, was about more than limbs and looks. It was like Easter for him. He's been raised by Jesus to fullness of life. And to be alive as a human being, to be a well human being, is to be grateful to the God who gives life through Jesus Christ. He's not just alive, biological animation. He's well in the truest sense of the term. He's awake to God, the Lord, the giver of life. And you can always spot twice healed people by their excessive, heartfelt gratitude to God. Get touched by God, friends, and it makes a person get all, how shall I say, theological. Doxo-logical. I remember visiting a man from my congregation in Montreal. Bruce was his name. He had about two days to live. The previous year, they didn't think he had much life left, but the, the cancer went into remission, and he got an extra year. On my final visit to Bruce in that extra year, I asked Bruce before I left, can I, can I pray with you? And he said, yes, but just a minute, Richard. Let me give you my final confession. He says, Richard, I have to tell you that this last year of my life has been the best year of all. I've never been so in love with my wife. I, I've seen flowers in a whole new way. I, I actually was late for meetings because I would stop and look at them. They're just spectacular gifts. I had to touch them. He says, the sunlight in the gardens, the green of trees. Wow, I just, like I was in awe of this beautiful world. 
And then he said this. He said, now you can pray, but don't ask God for anything. Uh, Just offer God a prayer for this last year of my life. Wow. He got a year's reprieve on his health, but more importantly, I think in that year, he got well for all eternity. See, that's Luke's main point here. Healing is grateful health. You can't minimize that. But until we're able to trace our multiple blessings to the Lord and giver of life, we're not well yet. We're just liable to take credit. Look what I did. We're liable to think that everything we got is what we've earned and deserve. And if you think that, you become an unbearable person. Nine people meant Jesus, got normal, went home, back to the way it used to be. They, they probably had 1.7 children and bought a minivan. <laughs> One man meant Jesus, was healed and raised from the dead. Gratitude moved him to praise and worship, and never had he been so alive. Jesus says that he, unlike the ungrateful nine, was actually well alive, save for a life that will never run out. Now, in conclusion, I should let you know that before I left Montreal, after the service, a man met me at the door and shook my hand. I did what I usually do. I said, you want to sign the guest book? Uh, Because I'd never remembered seeing him. And he said to me, don't you remember me? I said, listen, I'm in my mid-50s. I I don't remember much anymore. Uh, I have to write stuff down. And he said, listen, don't you remember me? I I came down from the Montreal General Hospital to your church. I was a mess. I asked you to help me get back to Quebec City. There he was. His face was full again. He wore a tie, looked normal. And he said, I came to church today to worship with you. I'm well again, and I'm here to keep a promise. This morning I I put a check uh, on your offering plate to repay you and then some. He says, I'm just, just so grateful to God to have my health. Now, I'm not naive, even if I am a minister. I'm not naive. (laughs) I I, I, I know that people don't keep their promises, that this doesn't happen every day. I mean, even St. Luke thinks the chances are about one in ten. But sometimes people are so touched by the power of God that they get over the top grateful to God for healing, for salvation. Friends, today we, we turn to the Lord's table, Holy Communion. In some traditions, they call it the Eucharist. Do you know what Eucharist means? It means thanksgiving. And so today, for these symbols of bread and wine, the signs of the life of our Savior Jesus Christ, we give thanks to the Lord. The psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is good.